how do you make uh, important questions in your life? Like when you're at an intersection and you don't know which direction to go in, like who do you turn to? The most common question that we have for God is, what is your will for my life? Like what's God's leading for my career? Like who should I marry? But should we have children? Should we have more children than we have now? God, where do you want me to go to college? Like where are we supposed to find those answers? And when we ask these questions, we're looking for a specific answer to our specific situation. But as Christians grow and mature, we don't depend so much on God's specific will, but instead on God's revealed will. We discovered that the answer to life's most important questions has actually already, already been revealed in God's Word, in His Scriptures, and it's been revealed clearly. So there are some areas where you shouldn't require outside help in order to come up with an answer. Should I forgive someone when they hurt me? Well, you know the answer to that. Should I move in with my boyfriend or girlfriend before we get married? The answer in scripture is clear. Do I really need to be a part of a church family? And once again, the scriptures talk about the need to be close to other believers. So God has clearly revealed his will. And there are some things that are true for all of us. It's God's will that we repent and turn to him for salvation. It's God's will that you serve in the church. It's God's will that you live holy and righteous lives. And this morning, we're going to see that it's God's will that you share your faith with the people around you, with the people that you encounter in everyday life. Now, you can have an expensive cell phone. It can be charged to 100%, but there are places where you won't get a reception. Thus, that phone isn't much use to you. But our office down in the basement is one of those places. But whenever the phone, somebody's cell phone rings, you hear footsteps just flying up the back stairs in order to answer that call properly. Now we can still do text messaging and all of that from our, as the electrician called it, a concrete and metal bunker. When he was trying to put electricity into that room, he couldn't get over any of the walls because it was concrete or it was steel carrying beams. And then when my wife and I were on Tunnel Mountain in Banff, I discovered you don't even get to send text messages there. It's just like no signal whatsoever. So what good is it if you can't send those signals? But here's what I want you to understand about God's will. But the more we understand and follow God's revealed will, the more His specific will becomes clear to us. And the stronger the signal of the Holy Spirit will come out in our lives. So there's a connection here that we sometimes don't make. And that's the key to what we're talking about today. But if you're living in disobedience and not according to God's revealed will, then it's highly unlikely that you're going to be able to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to be able to notice the Holy Spirit's specific leading in your life. So in the book of Acts, we read the story of Philip. And back in chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, But the Spirit 
the Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you power. Then you will tell everyone about me in Jerusalem and in all Judea, in Samaria, and everywhere in the world. So that was God's revealed will for that time, and it's God's revealed will for us today. We are to share that message in Halifax, and then we're to move to Nova Scotia, then it's moved to the country of Canada, and then it's to move into the rest of the world. If Philip was following God's revealed will in Samaria, he was working with a new church. And the first time that we actually read about Philip, he was chosen as one of the seven servant leaders by the apostles. And they were chosen for a specific task. But soon after that, Stephen, who was one of the seven, was stoned to death. And then the others kind of scattered a little bit. And Philip and some others went 35 miles north to Samaria. And a great revival began there. They were leading hundreds of people to the Lord. And Philip was a leader in that church. But listen to what happens in chapter 8, verse 26. And we're going to see how he follows God's specific will in sharing his faith with a man from Ethiopia. The Lord's angel said to Philip, Now don't you wish it was always like that? That an angel would appear to you, or you'd hear that voice, and you'd know exactly what to do. You'd know, yes, this is God's will that I go to that specific place at that specific time. But it doesn't always happen that way. But Philip was pretty sure this is what God wanted for him. And as you look through Scripture, you'll see that oftentimes this was the way that God worked. But today, he works primarily through the gift, the indwelling, and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Because we might ask the question, well, why doesn't the angel just go directly to the Ethiopian and bypass Philip altogether? Like, wouldn't that have been more effective? That God has chosen to partner with imperfect and sometimes incompetent Christians to share the good news of his love. So God, he's willing to go to great lengths in order to reach just one person. So the angel gives Philip very specific instructions. So in the rest of verse 26, go south along the desert road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he sends Philip from this area where he's having all kinds of success, reaching hundreds of people, as I said, and he's telling him to now go to one individual. Like, that just doesn't seem to make sense here, but that's what the book of Acts is all about. It's doing things that don't seem to make sense, but in all of it, it's reaching one more person for Jesus Christ. And that's the whole theme of that book, is reaching just one more person. Now, the book of Acts is the book of church history. And in it, you'll read about some specific programs that were started by the church, like the one to feed the widows and the orphans. But that's not what it's all about. It's not programs. You read about the fact that they worshipped together. They met in homes. They met in the temple courts. But that wasn't what it was all about. The worship wasn't it. But then you read how they were committed to seeing individual lives being changed, one person at a time coming to Jesus Christ. That's what it was all about. So it's not the big number. 
It's one person at a time. So with no explanation as to why, the angel tells Philip, go in the heat of the day to this desert road in the middle of nowhere. And I love Philip's response in verse 27. He, it just simply says, so Philip left. Like, no arguments here. Like, I'd be sitting there. I'd say, give me some reasons. There's got to be some good reason why I leave this amazingly fertile area as far as Christianity goes to go in the middle of the desert to speak to one person. But Philip doesn't know why. He doesn't know what the result is going to be. Maybe it seems like a lot to ask. But this simple statement of obedience is the most significant application for us to take from this today. Like Oswald Chambers put it this way. He said, you will learn more about the Holy Spirit in five minutes of personal obedience than in five years of intellectual study. And Philip responded. Uh, I coached sports at Park West High School as well as some youth sports. And when I was coaching soccer at Park West, like the players were expected to hear and discern the voice of me, the coaches I was calling from the sidelines. And that was difficult to do because parents were always yelling at their kids and giving them instructions, which a lot of the time weren't correct. Then the wind would be blowing around, the referee would be blowing his whistle. And sometimes, like one mother told me, your voice doesn't carry that well out here. So I had to raise my voice. Eventually, I had heard yell all my instructions. But they heard either me or they heard her as time went on. They got to know my voice a little bit. They got to discern my voice. The longer they played for me and practiced, the more clearly they heard that voice. So when I yelled, get Ellery off the field, apparently everybody heard. Every now and then I say some things that I think in my head, but I don't really believe I sent the instructions to my mouth to uh, share with everybody. And that was one of them. Ellery was driving me crazy. She just wouldn't do the right thing. And the assistant coach said that I just screamed out, get Ellery off the field. But those kids eventually heard. And the more you obey God's leading, the more clearly you'll be able to discern it in the future. That's when you feel that prompting of the Holy Spirit to make you go to that individual. Or, or maybe it's to send a note, or maybe it's to make a phone call. Philip doesn't know why. He doesn't understand everything, but he starts out. So finishing verse 27. An important Ethiopian official happened to be going along that road in his chariot. He was the chief treasurer for Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. The official had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Now the man had gone to Jerusalem. He had worshipped. He was on his way home. He was sitting in his chariot reading. Now, scholars say that he probably lived in the present day area of northern Sudan. And this was the southernmost tip of the world as far as they knew at that time. So the good news of Jesus Christ was being prepared to go to the ends of their world. And a few things we need to know about this guy. He obviously held an impressive position. He's over the treasury of the Queen of Ethiopia. So essentially, he's the Minister of Finance. 
And his status is also revealed in the fact that he's driving in a chariot. That's comparable to someone being in a limousine today. But the significant thing is that this Ethiopian was searching for the truth of God. And he traveled over 1,000 miles to Jerusalem because he heard there was some type of house of God there and he wanted to go and find the answers to his questions. This trip would have taken him probably a month to make. He's gone to Jerusalem. He's on his way back home again. And he didn't get his toughest questions answered. He's still searching. So in Jeremiah 29, 13, God says, You will worship me with all your heart, and I will be with you. And then look at Acts 8, 29. It says, The Spirit told Philip to catch up with the chariot. Now there are a couple of significant truths here. The first one is, as you follow God's leading, the Holy Spirit will lead you out of your comfort zone. Like we typically think that if God's specific will is going to be happening in our lives, then it's going to be to do something that we enjoy doing, that we get fulfillment out of. But that's not the case. When God reveals His specific will, it's almost always for His glory and for His purposes. So God says to Philip, I know it's hot, I know it's the middle of the desert, but I want you to go to this road. And God is going to do that with you. He's going to lead you out of your comfort zone. And another truth is that if you're following God's leading, close proximity to pre-Christians is required. It's a necessity. You're going to have to get yourself close to some chariots. Like, there's no way that this man from Ethiopia could be influenced unless Peter, excuse me, Philip, actually walks up to his chariot. That's the only way that he's going to find out about Jesus Christ. And that's difficult for us because it's hard for us to get outside of our comfort zones. Pre-Christians oftentimes have different opinions and beliefs than we do. They might act in a way that's uncomfortable for us to be around. They might say something that makes us uneasy. But we know that we've got to be chasing some chariots. We've got to be in the presence of some chariots. Like maybe you have a really good workout room at home, but you go to the local gym because there's someone there that you can reach out to. Maybe you have a chariot and your chariot is Sobeys. Maybe your chariot is the restaurant where you're a regular. Maybe it's your job. Maybe your chariot is the place where you bank. Like, this drives my family crazy, but I go into the bank. I go to a real teller just to connect with people. When my daughter got married, I left the book of pictures from her wedding, and they took it into their lunchroom, and they all looked at the pictures and were impressed with how handsome the minister was that day. How beautiful the bride and, and the groom, whose name is James Stevenson, not James Nicholson, as I said that day. I have a brother, James, that's why I had that little problem. Then, when uh, my grandson Seth was born, well, certainly I'm going to leave some pictures. So it, it's, it's making contacts. It's influencing people. So you have a chariot somewhere. But if you want to share 
the gospel, your faith with the people in Poland, then you've got to be in Poland. You've got to go on some type of short-term mission trip. Proximity matters. And maybe God is calling you to start a home group in your neighborhood. Our home group ministry is going to be kicking off our fall campaign in September. And maybe you could lead a home group in your neighborhood and invite some of your neighbors to attend. After years of research, Joe Aldridge said, After being a Christian for two years, the average Christian no longer has a single significant relationship with a non-believer. And that's really sad. And you know something, like many Christians are okay with that, they've accepted it. And then oftentimes church will plan activities for just the believers. We don't plan activities that will reach out into our community. We need to be in the proximity of pre-Christians if we're going to lead them to Christ. Now if we're following Jesus, we will also be a safe place for seekers to come. And when I see someone come in, a young man come in here with ripped jeans, or maybe shorts and flip-flops on, wearing a ball cap, I think, this is great, you know, this young guy is accepted here. He's made to feel welcome. I want to be in a church that's like that, where it's safe for people, where they don't feel like they're our project, but that we love them and we care for them just the way they are. Like, I want to be a part of a church that welcomes seekers and skeptics and unrepentant sinners and welcomes them with open arms. So if you're following God's leading, you can expect Him to lead you into the proximity of some pre-Christians. And then notice how Philip shares his faith here in verse 30. Philip ran up close and heard the man reading aloud from the book of Isaiah. And Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And there are just a few quick things that we can notice as Philip shares his faith. First of all, he starts where the man is. He doesn't jump up into the chariot and pull out some brochure and say, this is the plan of salvation. You just follow these steps and and you're on your way to heaven. And then he begins with a question. And he doesn't launch in with a sales pitch or with his own agenda. And then notice that he just listens. And there's a great model for us in that as well when we share our faith. It's just listen to people and hear where they're at. In the book Irresistible Evangelism, we read about a Christian woman named Jan. She and a few of her friends had actually been at an evangelism conference during the day. And that night they were in their hotel and they went down to the hot tub to soak for a while. And two teenage girls were in the tub with them as well. And this one teenager named Brittany was passionately telling her friend about an upcoming Wicca gathering that she was planning to attend. And listen to what Jan says in the book. Normally we would have tried to counter the girls' ideas but we decided to listen instead. I said something simple like, wow, you really sound excited about this. And this was all the encouragement she needed to launch into a five minute explanation of why she was so attractive to neo-pagan rituals. And the bottom line was that she had a really traumatic time in high school and the Wiccas accepted her. And she said, I've gone through so much junk just trying to make it through high school that I'll probably be in therapy for the rest of my life. Jan says, 
I tried to mirror back what she said, and I said to her, it sounds like it's hard for you to even imagine a future where you will be free from all the pain we've gone through. When, what came next, Jan says, completely thwarted me. With a film of tears starting to form in her eyes and a complete sincerity in her voice, she said, sometimes I wish I could be born all over again. I'd really like to start from scratch. And after a long pause, one of the women asked if she really would like to be born again. And she said, yeah, I really would. And they took it from there and shared their faith with her. So you start where the person is. It, you, you ask some questions, and then you listen. And before you know it, these amazing openings just appear right before you. So Philip asks the man, do you understand what you're reading? And then in verse 31, the official answered, well, how can I understand unless someone helps me? He then invited Philip to come up and sit beside him. So this guy is studying Isaiah chapter 53. They don't have the New Testament yet. Jesus hasn't yet come. And if there was one book in all of the Old Testament that you would want someone to read so they could find out about the Messiah, it would be Isaiah chapter 53. In there it talks about sin. It talks about the Savior. It talks about a sacrifice. And then in verse 35 it says, So Philip began at this place in the scriptures and explained. And notice what he explained. The good news about Jesus. That's sharing your faith. Sharing your faith is sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. And sharing your faith isn't sharing your morals. It's not sharing your values with someone. It, it, it's not going up to someone, tapping them on the shoulder, and letting them know that what they're doing is actually wrong. I did that once with the guys on my hockey team at the University of Prince Edward Island. I called one guy a sinner. And he goes, well, what's a sinner? And of course he wouldn't know. He had no contact with Christianity whatsoever. Someone opened up a few things. I was reading the Bible on bus, not bus trips. We drove with vans back then. But it opened up opportunities. So sharing our faith is what evangelism is all about. It's sharing the good news about Jesus. So it's been a long journey for this man. But he found what he was looking for. And now he's ready to make a decision. And apparently when Philip was sharing the good news about Jesus, he must have talked about faith. He must have talked about surrendering your life. He must have talked about baptism. Because in verse 36, the guy said, As they were going along the road, they came to a place where there was some water. The official said, Look, here is some water. Why can't I be baptized? And this wasn't a decision to be put off. He understood that it was an act of obedience. And then in verse 38, he ordered the chariot to stop. Then they both went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. So that's our story. God specifically leads Philip into this divine appointment to share his faith. And as you follow God's revealed will, the Holy Spirit will specifically lead you into divine appointments to share your faith as well. So here's some truths to take home. First of all, He can use you to change people's lives if you're sensitive to His leading. 
that back in 2004, the congregation sent Pat and I to the North American Christian Convention in Phoenix. And I met Erwin McManus at that event. He taught a number of sessions that I attended. I've since heard him at leadership summits. He's the lead pastor of Mosaic in Los Angeles. And he tells, told this story back then. I told it before, but I want to share it again because it's so amazing. He said that he was with his wife trying to get in to watch The Price is Right. His wife had always wanted to watch that show and get into that game show. He said, I had no interest whatsoever, but my wife did. So we're standing in line for five hours trying to get in to this game show that I don't care anything about. But he strikes up a conversation with the woman to his left and found out that she was from the former Soviet Union, from Uzbekistan. And as they talked, eventually the subject of God came up and Erwin talked to her a little about Jesus. And then she said to Erwin what many people say, I can't believe in Jesus because I can't believe that he is the only way to heaven. And then Erwin said, why are you so concerned that Jesus is the only way to heaven? So he asked the question. And she said, well, what about the people in India? If Jesus really was the only way to heaven, then wouldn't God make sure that the people of India would know who Jesus was? And Erwin said, well, is your concern that God doesn't care enough about those people to make sure they've heard about Jesus? And she said, yeah, God cares about everyone. And if Jesus is really the only way to heaven, then he would make sure that those people had heard about Jesus. And Erwin said, well, I understand what you're saying. But think of it this way. You're from Uzbekistan, and I grew up, excuse me, and you grew up, I guess, speaking Uzbeki. And then he said, I'm from San Salvador. I grew up speaking Spanish. But somewhere along the line, we both learned English. And God brought you from Uzbekistan. He tore down that wall, allowed you to travel to Los Angeles, and put you in the line of the prices right. And he brought me from San Salvador. And he married me to a woman who wanted more than anything else to be on the prices right. Placed us in Los Angeles and put us in this line just so I could tell you about Jesus. If God's going to do all of that just so you can hear about Jesus, then don't you think he's going to be at work around the world to reveal himself to people who are honestly seeking after him? Isn't that amazing? So a man from Ethiopia who spoke a different language but somewhere along the line learned enough Greek to go and read Isaiah chapter 53, and Philip, it's probably Hebrew, sorry, and he, uh, Philip, and he traveled a thousand miles by chariot, and is now traveling along a desert road, reading Isaiah chapter 53, and Philip comes alongside and says, hey, what are you reading? It's not an accident. So who is the person that God is leading you to? The person that you're sitting next to on the plane? Is it the waiter at your table? Maybe it's the woman at the grocery store. Maybe it's the person who cuts your hair. Maybe it's your co-worker in the lunchroom. And I'm not sure how often it happens, 
but it happens when our life seems to intersect with the life of someone else. And it's not an accident. It's a divine appointment by God. He has placed that person there so we can meet with them at that specific time so that we can share the words of peace with them. It's a divine appointment that God has known about since the beginning. And he has carefully orchestrated it so that your path would cross with someone else at their point of need. So that someone who is troubled would find the words of peace. Someone who has doubts could become convinced. Someone who is searching could find purpose. Someone is strengthened. Someone is convicted. Someone is saved. And God is leading you into these divine appointments. And there are only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. But as a church, we're writing the 29th chapter. And every day we have Acts 29 moments in our lives. And this week, we're going to have some Acts 29 moments. Maybe it will be the impulse we have to send a text to someone. Or maybe to make a, a phone call. Or pray for a relative. And will you brush it off? Will you get distracted? Will you put it off until later? Or will you be obedient? Because maybe that's not an accident. Maybe you move into the house that you're in, not because God really wanted you to have a bigger house and to have a two-car garage, but because He wanted you to be able to talk to the neighbor that was just two doors down from that new house that you're living in. Maybe you think you got that promotion because God really wanted you to have that corner office. He really wanted you to have that higher salary. But maybe it's because there's a person in the mailroom who's lonely and confused, and they're going to come by your office, and they need to know that someone loves them, that someone cares about them. Maybe you think that today you're going to go to an Italian restaurant because you want Italian food, but God is actually leading you there because there is a waiter that's going to come to you, a waiter who sees you praying and maybe hears some of the conversation that you're having at your table. And it's just what he needed in order to send him on a Christian path. There are more divine appointments waiting out there for us. Maybe you don't work out at the gym or attend the class or go to the bank for all the reasons you think you do. Maybe God placed you in a specific place at a specific time for a specific person. So the story of the church continues to be written, and I pray that the Holy Spirit is working through you and making those divine appointments for you. So maybe for you this morning is a divine appointment. Maybe you're new to the city, or maybe you've been walking by the church and, and wanting to come in for some time, or maybe someone else invited you to come here today. And I wonder what is going on in your heart right now. I want you to know that it's not an accident that you were here today. Maybe you felt it for a few weeks, and you can feel it right now, that God is basically tapping you on the shoulder, and He's saying, hey, why don't you come to me? The Ethiopian didn't put off his decision. He put his faith in Jesus Christ, and he was baptized right then. You can make that decision today as well. We're going to stand and be led in a song of commitment 
You can come. You can share your decision to make Christ the Lord of your life with me. You can talk to me afterwards. You can speak to any of our pastoral staff or leadership. But make that decision. Let's stand together.